Spinal Shock Introduction Spinal cord injury is a common injury occurring in the United States with an incidence of 50 more, 54 per million persons per year. According to the National Spinal Cord Injury Statistical Center, approximately 280,000 living survivors of traumatic spinal cord injury were reported in the United States in 2017. The prevalence of non-traumatic spinal cord injury is unknown, but it, would, it is thought to be at least three or four times greater. Causes of spinal cord injury are diverse. Although trauma is the most common cause, other etiologies include uh, myelopathies induced by autoimmune infectious neoplastic vascular and hereditary degenerative diseases. Acute traumatic spinal cord injury requires high-impact direct trauma that leads to spinal cord injury and spinal shock. The initial encounter with a patient with spinal shock is usually under a trauma scenario. Ischemia of the spinal cord can also produce a spinal shock. For example, a hypotensive patient in the medical intensive care unit or post-angiography patient with thrombotic occlusion of arteries that supply the cervical spine can have a similar presentation. Treatment of ischemic spinal shock is different, and outcome expectations are also different. Cord injury is also often associated with fracture, dislocation, tearing of ligaments, rotational distractions, while the tearing of the disc space. If the spinal shock is not associated with significant injury of the spinal column itself, then the prognosis for these patients is more favorable than when the fracture is present. The overall treatment of patients with significant spinal shock and injury is a challenge, but aggressive medical management can reduce its effect on the overall functionality of the patient. Etiology. Traffic accidents involving motor vehicles, bicycles, and or pedestrians account for approximately 50% of all spinal cord injuries. In patients older than 65 years of age, domestic accidents such as falls are the most common cause of spinal cord injuries. Primary spinal cord injury may be due to transection of the cord, mechanical injury, abscess formation, or metastatic disease. Secondary spinal cord injuries may be due to occlusion or disruption of arterial blood supply to the spinal cord with resultant hypoperfusion and anoxic damage to the spinal cord. Epidemiology. The worldwide annual incidence of spinal cord injury is reported to be around 15 to 40 cases per million. The majority of these cases are young men and have a spinal cord injury secondary to trauma. Approximately 55% of acute spinal cord injuries occur in the cervical region. Cervical spine spinal cord injury has the worst prognosis compared to spinal cord injury of other spinal levels, which is reflected in the decreased prevalence of cervical spinal cord injury in epidemiological data. In the United States, the Spinal Cord Injuries Statistical Center reported an instance of 54 cases per million people, equivalent to around 17,900 new spinal cord injury cases per year. Pathophysiology. Acute spinal cord injury is a two-step process involving a primary and secondary mechanisms. Primary injury occurs as a combination of the initial impact with underlying chronic cord compression. This can result with fracture, dislocation, burst fractures, and acutely ruptured discs. In some cases, primary injury can occur without pre-existing cord compression. This is seen with severe ligamentous injuries leading to transient spinal column dislocation or spinal cord laceration from sharp bone or metal. Mechanisms of secondary injury include inflammation, calcium-mediated mechanisms, sodium, glutamatergic pathways, vascular mechanisms, free radicals, and apoptosis. History and physical. It is important to familiarize oneself with the definition of spinal shock and neurogenic shock. Although they are different, distinct entities, they are seen as part of a spectrum of the same disease processes with, in patients with spinal cord injury usually traumatic. Spinal shock is the altered physiologic state 
after a spinal cord injury, which presents as a loss of spinal cord function caudal to the level of the injury, with flaccid paralysis, anesthesia, absent bowel and bladder control, and loss of reflex activity. Neurogenic shock is a component of spinal shock syndrome and refers to hemodynamic instability seen in these patients with hypotension, bradycardia, and hypothermia, secondary to sympathetic parasympathetic dysfunction imbalance. The primary assessment of a patient with spinal with trauma and possibly underlying spinal shock includes evaluation of the airway breathing circulation. Care should be taken to ensure movement of the spine does not occur to minimize secondary injury. The patient should be immobilized at the scene and during transport. A rigid cervical collar and supportive blocks on a backboard with straps are recommended. The movement of the patient should be done using the log roll technique. If mechanical ventilation is necessary on an emergent basis, rapid sequence intubation with inline spinal mobilization can be used. However, intubation over a, over a flexible fiber optic laryngoscope is preferred method if the clinical situation allows. Profound hypotension is usually present, which should be treated immediately with a crystalloid fluid bolus. If hypotension is determined to be due to spinal shock as opposed to a volume depletion from hemorrhage due to other injuries, repetitive fluid boluses are not recommended and the patient should be started on inotropes to maintain arterial blood pressure. Urinary retention should be assessed and a urinary catheter should be placed as soon as possible. A thorough neurological exam utilizing the ASIA score should be completed. Neurologic examination should also include an assessment of the cranial nerves as they may be independently affected secondary to trauma. Treatment and management. Patients with spinal shock will have hypotension and bradycardia due to autonomic dysregulation and imbalance. The sympathetic tone is lost, leading to decreased vascular resistance and hypotension. An unopposed parasympathetic tone leads to bradycardia. Maintaining adequate perfusion pressure to the spine is crucial in patients with spinal shock to prevent secondary ischemic injury. It is generally recommended to maintain mean arterial blood pressure at 85 to 90 millimeters of mercury for the first seven days after an acute spinal cord injury. Judicious fluid management is necessary to avoid fluid overload and edema. Most patients will require inotropic therapy. Studies comparing various inotropic therapies in patients with spinal cord injury reported improved spinal cord perfusion with norepinephrine and better side effect tolerance compared with dopamine or phenethylene. Profound bradycardia can be treated with atropine administration or temporary pacing and is usually seen in patients with higher cervical cord, inju cervical cord injuries. Patients with spinal shock will usually develop paralytic ileus and require decompression. Thermoregulation will also be altered in these patients with spinal shock, requiring external control to maintain body temperature. Autonomic dysreflexia can also be seen in patients with spinal cord injury above the T6 level. Uninhibited sympathetic responses to noxious stimuli below the level of injury cause vasoconstriction and hypertension in these patients. A compensatory parasympathetic response produces bradycardia and vasodilation above the level of the lesion. This is seen in the first year of the injury, but is unlikely to occur in the initial period, first month of the injury. Management involves identifying the triggering factors such as bowel and bladder distension and treatment with antihypertensive agents. Orthostatic hypotension due to peripheral vasodilation is common in the first few months of spinal cord injury. Patients with spinal cord injury also remain high at, high at risk for pneumonia due to decreased cough reflex and poor secretion clearance. Chest physiotherapy and vaccination should be employed to decrease the risk of complication. Bowel dysfunction is common after a spinal cord injury and requires medical treatment to prevent complications. Rectal suppositories are the treatment of choice for managing chronic bowel dysfunction after spinal cord injury, leading to constipation. 
Peptic ulcers are also common in patients with spinal cord injury and require vigilant preemptive skin care. Maintenance of adequate nutritional intake and weight are, is also crucial for preventing this complication. Pain, depression, and anxiety are common after spinal cord injury and should be treated accordingly. Functional recovery should be the primary goal after the spine has been stabilized. Range of motion and resistive exercises, upright positioning, and strengthening exercises should be employed as soon as possible. Differential diagnosis, cardiogenic shock, hypovolemic shock, sepsis, spinal abscess, and vertebral fracture.